Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time I put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 105 of the Corona Diaries and Shiver, me timbers. He's only on a bloody boat. Ah, me shivering, matey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Rum. Did you have any idea where that statement was going when you started it? No. (laughs) No. I didn't even know I'd finished. (laughs) Right. It's it's not very Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a little bit pastel, I have to say. Your, your backdrop. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm not on a galleon. Um, I'm, we're on a cruise liner, you know. So obviously, um, a sort of it, it, it's it's a sort of an idea of of luxury from from thirty years ago, I think. Um, which, right. Which, despite being very well kept by a. Uh, team of Malaysians, um, you know, time always fades things a bit, doesn't it? Um, but, you know, I can't grumble, although I, I no doubt will during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you should. I think you should. It's got a little bit of a look of um, the travel lodge in the second series of Alan Partridge. Yeah, that's the vibration, basically. It, you've, you've nailed it. It's... Uh, it's on the cusp of between a, a travel lodge and a premier inn, really. Um, as a, you know, as a, as a, a colour scheme. Although the art, not so much in my room, but but the art in the ship generally, you know, in the corridors and the the big installations on the stairs and everything is really good. I don't know who's chosen the artworks, but it's, we're on the. Um, what are we on? <laughs> know what we're on we're on it's it's the royal caribbean that's the the cruise line i'm not quite sure which ship it is so there's no point me bigging up the art if you don't know what i'm talking about and i and if i don't know what i'm talking about um i have adopted a zero tolerance but oh no that's not it um it's the something of the seas, anyway, and um, the art. The yes. art's good. Whoever chooses the art for, for right. the Royal Caribbean cruises has, has, has got great taste because it's very, very varied. But I'd just about have any of it hanging in my house had I got a house the size of a football pitch. All right, because you know it's okay. big. Some of it is seriously big. And I suppose you ought to tell people while you're there. While you're there, really, if if people don't know. Oh, okay. For those who don't know... When you finish your yoghurt. Should I even say, for those who aren't here, because there are a few Mm. purples on the boat. I was talking to Francine Decouteau last night. Ah, were you? I was, yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's... It was nice to see... um, Nice to see a couple of, you know, the the inner circle. 
and the mm-hmm. um, on the boat. But yes, I'm, I'm on currently in the middle of the Caribbean Ocean, um, floating about on a cruise liner um, for cruise to the edge, which is um, a sort of rock festival on a cruise ship that um, the band Yes first dreamt up or agreed to if they didn't dream it up but it, it it's their it's their cruise uh which bizarrely this year they're not doing so the whole point of this cruise is is to see yes and other bands but they're not here so um we're sort of headlining it i think i think it's between us and alan parsons um and it's a, a rock festival on a on a cruise ship, and there's there's a lot of people here in t-shirts and um, flip-flops, grooving around, having a good time in the Caribbean, and and watching prog bands. Um, it's quite a big bill, isn't it? There's about what twenty-five, thirty bands. <clears throat> there's a lot of bands. Um, <clears throat> there's some. There's, I mean, there's some sort of rock royalty on here. I mean, Al Stewart's on here. Um, Adrian Ballou's Power Trio are playing I'll, uh, I'll definitely go and see them after we get off stage tonight because I think they're on after us we are bizarrely on at half past five uh, in the evening which is a bit odd but uh, that means I'll, I'll be able to get off stage in time to run across the boat somewhere to see Adrian Ballou play because um, his Power Trio is thoroughly recommended and he's great and I think Simon mm. Phillips, the drummer, is is on here doing something, and I think Tony Levin might be on the boat. Um, so there's some, you know, serious, proper talent people who who got their chops together, you know. On mm. on and that that Moody Blues fellas kicking around, isn't he? Well, I think he is. Yeah, I think I think he is. But there has been a couple of people pull out because they failed the COVID test. Uh, uh, Wishbone Ash yeah. was supposed to be on here, but aren't. I think Justin Hayward's on here somewhere. Um, I, but I've not, you know, I've not seen him anywhere. But I've not seen anybody much. Well, I mean, if 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 you if you hear, you know, Forever Autumn coming out of somewhere, you'll know he's there. Because he'll be, uh, he'll be banging on that one. He or he might be not there. That's that's about the most insightful thing you've ever said on TCD. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on at what half past five? Uh, yeah, it might even be five o'clock. Um, yeah, tea time, which oh, yeah. uh, okay, which means I could have flown in yesterday if I'd known. But they, 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 no matter how many times we ask them, they never tell us. Um, right. So we've usually bought the air tickets before we know what's going on or when we're on or what time we're on or anything because they they won't they don't reply to the emails. Um, I'll probably get taken to court just for saying that, but it is true. Um, and so yeah, I could have flown in yesterday because going on at five is like going on at ten in in England, and I could have coped with that. But normally, you know, if you're on at nine or ten, that's Two or three in the in, in the morning in your head, and it's not it's not when you want to be singing. So traditionally, right. we've always flown to Florida and had a, two or three days in Florida just to get over the hellish jet lag. 
And I've never been great with jet lag, but I think I'm getting worse. You know, it, it really does mm. me up like a kipper these days. I feel like hell in a bag for a couple of days. <clears throat> and even now I feel a bit, bit not, not great. But that may be um, that may be a combination of things: <laughs> the vast ingestion of alcohol, uh, the air conditioning, recovering from COVID. Uh, that's it. Thought raw get, fish. Uh, thought I'd get all my excuses in. Raw fish yesterday, although that was very nice. I mean, I've got no no worries about that really. Well, maybe I should have. Maybe it was one of those. <laughs> You know, there's, give me three goats for an hour. It's one of those. It's one of those fish, isn't it? That you, that the sushi chefs have to know exactly how to slice up, or it kills yes. you. Maybe I've or had, it's fatal. Maybe yes. I've had that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a bit off colour. There is. I'm trying to think what that fish is, but there is uh, a particular one, isn't there? It's a name like Poco or Puma. I think there's a P in it. Yes, it should really have been fatal. <laughs> yes. But- that would have been a better name for it. <laughs> or watch out. <laughs> Runaway fish. Yeah. Runaway fish. <laughs> oh, idea. Can you say that on a Meridian podcast? Um, doomed. Doomed say, fish. <laughs> so just, just for context, how big is that boat? I mean, realistically, how long does it take you to walk from one end to the other? Um, well, good, you know, about 10 minutes. From the from front right. front to back, I mean, it reminds. There's a block of flats in Sheffield that it reminds me of, except that it's floating. Um, oh, the Park Hill flats. You, you know, when you, when, yeah, when you look at when you look at the station, and there's a sort of a hill, isn't there? And there's yeah. all those the, yeah, Park Hill flats. flats. Very famous in Sheffield. Those flats. Well, it's like that, <laughs> only floating. <laughs> only floating, and not in Sheffield. <laughs> and not in Sheffield. And far less crack dealing. <laughs> Who can say? Allegedly. <laughs> Who can say? Yeah, I'm sure something's going on. But uh, but n- nobody's offered to sell me anything, f- fortunately. Right. Well, I just say no, right. kids. Just say no. Yes, just say no, yes. yes. Until, until it's legal. Yes, let's all quote our, our inner Zamo. Yeah. If you remember that, if you're a Grange Hill fan. Inner Zamo. That that that's that's the episode title. <laughs> title. <laughs> I wouldn't understand so it, but you, it sounds good. So, yeah. what are you doing for? Are you staying on for the rest of the? Because the cruise is five days, isn't it? Is it five days? Yeah, well, they're they're not helicoptering us off. So, um, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're staying on. And just so is it private island tomorrow? Is that is that your? I think it's Haiti. Day on a private think, island. I think we're stopping in Haiti today. Um, right, Philip Brown's really pissed off because um, not having a uh, because we've got a show day, he can't get off and go and wander around Haiti and buy some shrunken heads and all of that because he he loves all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> so he's a bit bummed out that he's missing Haiti, and then I think. Um, Tomorrow or Thursday, maybe it's Friday. Anyway, one of the days that we're not playing because we're we're playing on Tuesday and Thursday. One of the others, we're, we're visiting a private island, um, and 
Yeah, Rick Armstrong was telling me that he's hired a cabana on the beach um, with staff and has invited me along to go and chill in his cabana on the private island. And I don't understand most of those words, um, but I agreed to do it. Um, so I'm sort of looking forward to that, to finding out what a private cabana is. <laughs> I'm I'm just going to have to have a look now at cabana. I'm assuming Ooh. it's the way you'd expect it to be, C-A-B-A-N-A. Yeah, this year uh, I'm off to sunny Spain in some cool cabana. It might be like yeah. that. A cabana is a type of shelter often found near beaches or pools. Um, like it's yeah, I'm imagining it's going to be some kind of big, sort of hut thing. You're like a posher um, version of that's... those things you get on the beach in yeah <laughs> in Clacton. Yeah, with, yeah, with cur- <laughs> with, with cur- curtains around it and a double bed in it and that kind of vibe. And a kettle uh, and a camping gas. Yes, yeah, bound to have a kettle. Yeah, yes, well, have a kettle. So we're we're, we're going to do that. We're going to go and hang out in Rick's cabana. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. He took me okay. to the Kennedy cool. Space Center the other day, Rick. I, I had a little dream come true and was shown around the rockets by by the well by the man himself's son. So that was quite something. Mm. Um, mm. Somebody left a really nasty message on my age guest book, which, which nev- nev- wasn't actually published. It was an unpublished one that I just happened to come across. Um, and they didn't half have a go at me for name dropping and said that, uh, you know, they thought it was a bit desperate. I felt the need to drop all these names all the time. So um, I feel slightly guilty by even mentioning Rick Armstrong, but, but hey... Whoever you were, you don't know me and you don't know what makes me tick. So don't presume you do. There we are. He didn't leave an he or she didn't leave an email address, otherwise I would have had the pleasure of saying that to them. But um, as it was, if you're out there, there you go. You can anyway. You can tell I'm a bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Just a smidge. I've had years of being nice to these people, and I've just decided I'm not going to do it anymore. That you know, I mean, if somebody comes up and is rude to you or is horrible, you should be horrible back. You know, just tell them to go and boil their head and leave you alone. And I never used to, but I'm going to start. I'm turning to Van Morrison. Mm. Did you hear that go beep? No. What? Did it beep? It was a big beep. It must be the Van Morrison sensor. <laughs> Van the man. The warning. Van the man. Yes, yes. The alarm. <laughs> yes. Anyway, anyway, we better draw it back to some kind of something. Yeah, bring it back to something. So, obviously... Yeah, we were talking about somewhere else. We might as well talk about somewhere else while you're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I was makes, thinking makes about sense. in the night. Um, and, um, and and obviously when we, we started talking about it last week, and there's been some very positive vibes floating around for somewhere else, um, which is which is really nice. Um, but we we I suppose the I suppose the thing I wanted to ask was what were the writing sessions like? Because it 
you know, we t- we said, look, it's quite a self-contained thing, as in most of the stuff that you wrote went on the album. We we think that Faith was from an earlier time, but pretty much everything else there was self-contained. I don't know if there was anything from those sessions that went on to form any part of Happiness is the Road, but I would probably guess not. So w- was it a, was it an, a, you know, was it a nice little session? Did it just all happen? In was it just that's the f- that's the way I remembered it actually. Um, I I just got together with Lynetta after you know a really difficult period of my life really, um, and I was feeling really you know I, w- I was really happy, um, and everybody who met me said, "My God, you look really happy." <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I am. Um, so I, I think at that point I, I had a real, a real glow of uh, of bliss about myself. And so, as often is the case when you feel like that, you know, everything else feels good too. Um, so I remember in in my head the working environment was really good. You know, it was really positive. Um, and the I, I I think a lot of those ideas came together pretty quickly, those jams. Um, that's all I can really remember. But I remember, you know, driving back into... I was living in Islip at the time in a little rented house um, because it moved out of, of Charlton where I'd lived for years before that. And so I was living in another in another part of the world, uh, you know, not too far away, but but on the edge of Oxford, which I'd, I'd never I'd never lived there before. It was quite an interesting little place. Uh, it was the birthplace of Edward the Confessor, uh, who I think was one of the first kings of England in 13-something or other. Um, and it's an interesting little spot, I slip, and it's handy for Oxford. And... S- handy for the racket club really as well so i was in a really good place in my in my mind you know um and enjoying enjoying being alive um Mm. you know not that i don't enjoy being alive now but uh, but you know it was it was in that sort of first rosy flush i guess um of of getting together with Lynetta, so we were in a we were in a really good place, uh, both of us, um, and just having a really good time. And so the so then the the work and going back to the studio felt really uh, exciting as well. And I remember as the album came together, I remember driving home one night with it with it on and playing playing the rough mixes in the car, and and you know suddenly thinking, wow, you know we've got something special here. Um, so it was an exciting time. I remember going down to Devon to master it with Simon Hayworth. It was one of the last albums we actually went and mastered because. Um, Mike decided he didn't really need anything mastering after that. He, you know, he said, "Well, we might as well mix it so that so that we're happy with it without the need to tweak it. And if we want to tweak it, I'll tweak it in the mixers." So we stopped mastering after that. 
But um, it was always fun to go down to Devon. He had this, Simon Hayworth had this lovely, he's got this lovely house on the edge of Dartmoor. And it's, it's blissful. It's in this little little village called, ah, what's it called? Dag, Dag something. Ah, oh, I can't remember. It's close to a little village anyway, and I, where um, I think Jennifer Saunders lives there with her husband, Aid Edmondson. Um, what the hell's it called? Got a dag in it anyway. Um, <laughs> your name like Dagworth or Dagmar or Dag, Dag, Dag. I don't know. So we 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 went down there and uh, and mastered it. And it was always nice to see Simon Hayworth. Simon Hayworth is very posh and terribly terribly nice, and very posh. And um, he. I think he was one of the original engineers on uh, Tubular Bells for Mike Oldfield. He was one of those early um, early Virgin engineers. And there was another bloke who actually engineered the first Europeans album and he was in on it as well. And then there was another bloke called Tom who nearly... I went and saw Tom... What was it called? It's a shame I can't remember <laughs> any of these words. There's a bloke on Tom who who was also right in at the ground floor with the whole Virgin thing and used to drive records around in a van for Richard Branson when he was just running a mail order company that was a bit dodgy. Um and uh he was Tom Oldham. Tom Oldham, I think he's called. Um and Tom Oldham I, I he showed interest in, in producing Ice Cream Genius for me, or what became Ice Cream Genius. So I had a meeting with him, and uh, I think he knew where a couple of Richard Branson's bodies were buried, to be honest. Um, And he was quite a character. But in the end, I decided to do it with Craig Leon. But I'm getting off of somewhere else now. But Simon Hayworth... I'm just going to go and say, was it Tom Newman? Newman, that's him, Tom Newman. Have you been looking him up right, okay. while I've been going? Tom, I, I've Tom, been, I've been, Tom, I just checked for Tom. credits for Tubular Bells. Who else is on there? Because there was a, there was a bloke who engineered uh, vocabulary where Vic Coppersmith Heaven produced it, and there was a chap who engineered it, and I think he'd been on the Tubular Bells sessions as well right well the only thing the only thing i'm getting is simon and tom and mike as being the producers simon hayworth is he on simon hayworth yeah Yeah. well hey so those two are on it well simon hayworth then started to make a living mastering not engineering and he became a you know one of the one of the few mastering engineers that people turn to and uh, he's very good and he's very nice and he mastered a lot of our stuff and he's he's now got a place down in Devon. So he mastered somewhere else. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> at least I think I do. You'll probably go no, he, gonna... no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, I don't know that, but um, he it's called Super. I think it's Super Audio, audio super Mastering. Audio I think mastering. is what it's. What somewhere, um, somewhere else. Uh, 
Um, no, Howard's um, thing. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. the name of his company. That's absolutely uh, right. In Monks Withicum, Chagford, nearly. That's it. See where Chagford, you got the dag from? Not dag. Chagford. Chagford. That's a lovely Chagford. little village. And that's where I, yeah. I was told Jennifer Saunders and Aid Edmondson live. That's a, a pretty little spot. Right. Uh, and that's near Newton Abbott. Yeah, very nice. Very nice part of the world. Uh, so, so what, while we're on that subject, then, hmm. while we're on that subject, do you want to explain the difference between mixing and mastering? Yeah, I can easily do that. Mixing is, is, is where you take the individual audio tracks that have been recorded, either from microphones or straight from instruments or from whatever. Um, they're usually all on separate tracks so that you can EQ and, and set levels independently to literally paint the picture that, um, that, that, that ends up being the stereo master which is uh, two tracks left and right, you know, what what you hear when you put a record on. But then, particularly because of um, a vinyl in the old days, there was what you would do then, once you'd got your mixes, you would go to a mastering engineer and he would specialise in making sure that there was nothing in the in the signal that would would make the needle jump off the vinyl when when you played it because there was a limit to the dynamic range in other words you know quietest thing to loudest thing um so if for instance as as legend has it um you bring a kick drum in above a certain level it will it, it will make the needle jump out the record and le- legend has it that um the introduction of the kick drum on video killed the radio star did that and they had to I had to fiddle with it a little bit and squash it down um the squashing it down process is called compression so compression is used a lot when you're making a record on individual tracks but when you come to master a record um if the difference between the quiet stuff and the loud stuff is just too much you can compress it. So you, you then put it through a device which uh, listens to what's coming next. Um, and if it's something really loud, it it reacts really quickly and reduces the volume of it. And if it's something really quiet, it turns it up. So you 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 can end up you you i mean you lose something because you lose you lose the um the the difference between the quiet stuff and the powerful stuff which can be quite exciting but you can often gain an awful lot in terms of definition and a, and a sense of presence by applying compression so mastering engineers tend to work with the stere- just the stereo mix left and right they will they will apply compression and usually some EQ, which is where you take the frequency range and adjust certain frequencies to bring them out or calm them down. Um, all these, all the stuff mastering engineers have tend to be insanely expensive and, and not the kind of stuff you've usually got in a studio. So Hayworth's gear costs an absolute fortune, probably... You know, his compressors probably cost more than my house. And um, similarly with his EQ, 
And he's got this, um, he's got this, he's got all his amplifiers on Shakti stones. Have you heard about Shakti stones, Ant? I haven't. Right, okay, H. well, um, I think you can stand, I mean, that is, you're getting into metaphysics with Shakti stones, but um, some not job hippie discovered that if you place speakers and even power amplifiers on top of these stones, these flat stones called Shakti stones, which I guess must be from India or somewhere, um, everything sounds better. <laughs> and that sounds insane until someone demonstrates it to you and you go, yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's got Simon has got metaphysical shit going on as well um, but if, if you get if you become one of these complete hi-fi buff nutters who would think nothing of spending 30 grand on an amplifier then you may well you may well drift into the area of Shakti stones and metaphysics because some of these guys have all that I know that Dave Gilmore's mains plugs are like three thousand pounds a piece, and they're all you know they're all gold contacts, and y you can take it to the nth degree with all the oxygen. Do you know about oxygen-free cable and all of that? I do know about oxygen-free. Yes, yeah. I do. So I'm you, just you, you get into trying to work a, out if you get into very rare, well, rarefied areas of 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 you know audio, and these people who theorise that. If you've got a mains plug worth £3,000, things will sound better. All I get from that is that Dave Gilmore doesn't live anywhere near a Wilco. No. Because if he did, he'd, he'd know you could pick up a plug for about 50p. I think, I think Dave's just one of those people who goes, you know, picks up the phone and says, um, I've got something here and it costs £10,000. Could we? Re is there anything dearer we could replace it with? <laughs> You know, and then somebody says, "Yes, David, I'll sort that out for you." And he says, "Thank you very much," and goes back to bed. I think I think that's the way Dave lives. <laughs> well, if you can, you yeah, can. exactly. No, I'm not knocking Dave. He's, he's um, I mean, I've heard that he's sold an awful lot of his possessions and 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 given all the money to good causes. Uh, so mm. I I, th I think he's um, I think he's a cool bloke as well as one of the best guitarists on earth, obviously. Yes, that goes without saying. Assuming, of course, it wasn't Dave who actually left a really nasty message on your guest book, in which case he's a bit of a twat. That wasn't Dave. No, the diction, right. the, the grammar would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that's all we're taking it on. You might have said the same things, just put the words in a slightly better order. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> At least I could have name-dropped by mentioning that he'd written in. <laughs> he could have name-dropped about <laughs> after the message That's about right. name-dropping. Exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm loving your work. Then I'm he, loving your then work. Then you'd have to write in again. <laughs> You're still at it. The Saltaire's doing, <laughs> the doing you the power of good. I'm just going to have a slug on what this. What are you moving on to now? Is that Pepto-Bismol? It's Gaviscon. I'm having a slug on is it? this. Cherry flavour. Right. Cherry flavour my Cherry? Arse. Cherry. 
Oh, I thought cherry. you said sherry. Cherry, yeah, cherry flavour my ass. It tastes like poison. I don't know. <laughs> I bought it. I thought, oh, cherry flavour, that'll be nice. No, it's not nice. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that's vile. It's like consuming an entire packet of chalk. <laughs> Well, I think it's been in the bottom of some granny's <laughs> knickers for a couple of weeks. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> I, d- I don't know, but I think I think before we get into any more trouble, we perhaps ought to go to the diary. <laughs> so I think we can conclude that Steve H can't remember much about somewhere else. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and Anne's done no, his... but he's, we've had a little a little tour of Devon. Yeah, <laughs> we've remembered the name of Chagford, which was good. It's a great word we, that. We've discussed Dave Gilmore's mains plugs. I mean, it's, we're also good. Yeah. So your yeah. money hasn't. We know been what wasted. mastering is versus mixing. Oh. Yeah, and and the only thing you didn't mess, 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 say was multiband compressor. Multiband. But you might you've dropped a multiband compressor in there. Oh, with the side chain. Oh. Yes. Oh, absolutely. With a side yeah, chain. Yeah, I've never, I've never quite got to the bottom of side chains. I've had them explained to me by various engineers, and I still wouldn't know how to set one up. But um, well, I'm pleased you said that because yeah. I don't know what a side chain is either. Well, I, I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> if you want, if you want me to show off. <laughs> Go on then. Let's 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 have a crack at side chain while I while I Google it. What a side chain. Is um, is something that that expensive compressors over a cer- over a certain amount of money offer as an option, and you can apply a graphic equaliser just to one aspect of the frequency uh, spectrum that is then compressed whilst leaving everything else untouched. So if if something is is a little bit you know, spiky in the two kilohertz area. You can stick a two K side chain in your compressor that will squash two K down, and you know, and limit that 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 part of the signal whilst leaving the rest of the spectrum untouched. Mm. <laughs> I thank you. All right. And do, you, and do you know anybody who's a bit spiky in the two K? Yes, area? I do, and I'm looking at him in the mirror. All right. Ah. I've got a bit. Ah. I've got a bit of a spike in the two K in my voice that can get a bit much, um, and so sometimes people notch a bit of that out of me. But you see, notching it out with EQ isn't the same as side chaining it with compression because if you notch it out with EQ, you reduce it all the time. Whereas if you yeah. side chain compress it, you only reduce it when it gets out of order. So it's when he bit, gets a bit leery, it's a bit like a doorman in a nightclub. No, it isn't. It's not like a not doorman. It's the doorman in the nightclub is a bit like the EQ. It just won't let any low life in. Whereas, right. whereas a side chain compressor would be a bit more like someone who's in the nightclub who throw people out if they get a bit leery, but leave them alone if they're not. Ah, but you need. Ah, but hang on a minute. You need to get back in. I'd have thought it was more like a doorman stood near you who gives you a, a quick clip every every time you. <laughs> You spike a bit. Yeah, slaps you and says, I won't tell you again. Yes, and then slaps you again when you do it again. 
There we are. Sidechain has never been explained like that before. As a nightclub doorman, no. But there we are. And there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> this is what you're paying your money for, folks. It's not wasted. Well, it isn't, because <laughs> this one's for free. Oh, is it? Oh, marvellous. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, should we go to a bit of diary? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Of course we should, Anthony. I did actually. Have you brought the dog? <laughs> yes, I know. That, that's, that, <laughs> that thought did flash through my mind as you said it. No, I have. I have got it with me. So I can. Yes, I can. Yeah, um, yes, you can. I can. Okay, well, um, we're going to go to Tilburg and Utrecht. Oh, marvellous. Two, two, um, two really good Dutch towns. They're my hmm. favourite Dutch towns, actually. Tilburg's lovely in the summer. Because people set out outside the bars, and I've always had a nice time there. And Utrecht is like Amsterdam without the dirt, which is good. Because hmm. Amsterdam's nice, but if hmm. a bit grubby. But Utrecht isn't grubby, you know, and and so, but but has all the similar sort of canals and the, the vibration. But it's just a little more colloquial in a good way. Hmm. Right. Well, we'll get off. And then we'll we'll come back for a couple of very quick questions to wrap up. Okay. All right. Well, let me take you to Holland. Sunday, second of May. Tilburg O one three. Woken many times in the middle of the night by the colossal roar of someone snoring very close to me. Snoring doesn't really describe the sound adequately. I lay in the darkness trying to articulate the noise that was rattling the entire bus in an almost Looney Tunes cartoon fashion. I settled on a water buffalo in labour with a bad adenoidal problem. This, however, remains an understatement. As I lay there trying to believe what I was hearing, a general chorus of more snoring, groaning, wheezing and occasional distant farting was added to the symphony. I was reminded of the beans round the campfire scene from Mel Brooks movie Blazing Saddles. My amusement was tempered somewhat by the desire to be asleep and the worrying fact that we have many nights ahead of us in this situation. I screwed my fingers into my ears and tried to put the zoo symphony out of my mind, but it was no good. In the end, I gave up and got up. It was 5.45. I went downstairs and put the kettle on. It wasn't long before other people started appearing. Tour manager Quinner arrived first, closely followed by drum tech Rich. We all marvelled at the intense snoring above and discussed the amazing fact that it was possible for a human being to generate such sound pressure levels without actually stripping the skin from their throats during the night. Outside in Tilburg, it was already light and already a nice day. The sky was clear and the streets deserted. It seemed unusually quiet, even for 6am, until I remembered that this is Sunday and hardly anyone would be going to work. I further remembered that yesterday had been Queen's Day 
Not a huge gay parade, but a Dutch national holiday and annual celebration day. And that the nation would probably be a little slow off the mark this morning. This was a shame for me as I really wanted to wander into town and find a nice cafe to have breakfast and write my diary, which was already getting a little behind. Keeping this thing going is a bit of a chore and takes up my few precious spare hours during each day. Around nine o'clock I got off the bus to make my way into the centre of town only to discover that the bus was locked into a secure area of the venue surrounded by a high fence and all doors to the outside were securely locked. I contemplated climbing over but was discouraged by the pointed anti-personnel spikes at the top. Normally I'd have gone for it but it's too risky to chance a twisted ankle or sprained wrist on the first day of a long tour. So sense prevailed, for once. As I stood at the railings, contemplating once again a caged existence, our huge silver stage truck arrived out in the street and Simon Lake glided the articulated lorry into place on the pavement. Always an impressive feat to see trucks and trailers reversing and manoeuvring into tight spots. He jumped out and we exchanged greetings and I asked him if he'd had a good journey. He'd been here since yesterday when the celebrations were raging. He had to park the truck out of town, so he'd missed the revelry. Quinna went back to the bus to get him a cup of tea, which was duly passed through the bars of the railings. It was like visiting day in prison. Simon phoned the guy who was to open up the gig for us to load in, and he arrived ten minutes later with a large bunch of keys. After a brief examination of the big metal gate to the compound, he mused, Oh, it's open, and slid the gate soundlessly sideways. Mirth ensued as we all realised we hadn't been locked in at all and had spent the last hour conversing between the bars of an unlocked gate. These chains are all your own. This cage was never locked. Suddenly free and a little embarrassed, I wandered into town. I like Tilburg. It's very modern, but it's designed for people to enjoy outdoor cafe life. There's a large square where you can sit out and drink coffee, have a bite to eat and enjoy the fresh air. Between the square and the 013 gig is a pedestrianised street lined with bars and cafes where people meet and relax. I thought perhaps just one of these might be open for breakfast. Wrong. I walked all over Tilburg and couldn't find any signs of life at all, so I returned to the gig. By now, the truck was being unloaded. I chatted more with Simon Lake, who showed me pictures of the canal boat he lives on when he's not on the road. He has abandoned his regular gig as head truck driver for the big Peter Gabriel tour in order to come and do what he likes doing best. Oz, what a top chap. I'm very flattered. I left it another hour and then tried again to find a bar which would make me breakfast. I eventually succeeded and ordered Outsmiter. Fried egg, ham and cheese on bread and coffee, just what the doctor ordered. I wrote the diary until the battery was low on the laptop and then returned to the show to wash some shirts and have a shower. Said hello to the support band, Gaspacho, who had arrived from Norway and then returned to the bus to catch up on much-needed sleep following last night's barnyard entertainment. Woke up in time for sound check, which passed without incident. 
Brothers says he'd heard from someone that our single is now number two in the Dutch charts. Couldn't believe it. Just as well. It later turned out that this is the free records stroke Pepsi chart, not the official national chart. Either way, it's still great to be number two somewhere in something. Discovered a great photograph of us outside the catering room downstairs, something the kitchen staff had taken last time. Had dinner, pork and potatoes, and went back to bed again. Woke at 8.30 and got into my stage clothes for the gig. Gig went pretty well for the first half. For the second set, Eric replugged a couple of leads round the wrong way, which meant the loops channel and the effects channel of Mark's samplers were swapped around. This caused Mosley the Cat untold monitor trouble, and he was deeply unimpressed at the end of the show. At one point I thought he was going to punch Mark. I mediated and tried to calm him down. I think he'd be better off within ears and antidepressants. Works great for me. Monday, 3rd of May. Utrecht Music Centrum. The bus had seemed stationary for most of the night after a pretty short journey from Tilburg. I woke about ten and pulled back my little curtain to confirm we were in fact in Utrecht, outside the Vredenburg Music Centrum. We've played here many times before and never been disappointed with the experience. It's a great sounding venue and we can always rely on a good crowd. Utrecht being home to a great hardcore Marillion following. I made my way down to the dressing room and did a bit of laundry. I had the idea of bringing a tumble dryer out on the road on this tour. This means we can wash our clothes in the sink and they'll be dry after one hour. Something as insignificant as this can completely transform the touring experience. When you're constantly travelling and sleeping on a bus... An endless supply of clean clothes, especially underwear and socks, becomes a great luxury and makes the whole process so much more pleasant. Being able to wash stage clothes is also terrific. In the past I would go on stage some nights wearing the same unwashed shirt that I'd worn for the previous three nights and feeling rather grubby and grateful that the front row wasn't close enough to share the pong. The alternative was to send laundry out with the runner who would return later to declare that the laundrettes were all closed or even worse but fairly often would return with one of my precious £200 white shirts now dyed a dirty grey or pink colour. I have now learned that, as in all things in life, if you care for it, you'd better not let anyone else look after it. Our careers are living proof of this also, but I digress. We installed the tumble dryer in a neighbouring dressing room and I loaded in my wet laundry with a glow of pride. It's the little things. Dizzy texted me earlier to say that there was torrential rain in England so I hardly had the heart to tell her that the weather is beautiful here in Utrecht, mild and sunshiny. I decided to go out, don my sun specs and have a beer and a spot of lunch by the canal. I prefer Utrecht to Amsterdam. It has the same quintessentially Dutch system of canals which snake through the town, but it's smaller, cleaner and a little more peaceful. On a sunny day you can watch the world go by in the street and on the water, and the Dutch are a little more colourful than the English, so there's always something to catch the eye and to amuse. I returned to the gig for an interview at 3.30, and as I arrived I bumped into a man with a surreal and mad painting. 
It all suddenly made sense. He's called Mark and he wrote an email to me a while back saying his paintings had been inspired by our music and also enclosing his web address where I could go and view his work. I had a look and I liked it. It's abstract and slightly mad in a very primitive way. Quite aboriginal in fact. I had replied and told him I liked his stuff and he had promptly written back and said he'd like to make us a present of one of his paintings. So I arranged for him to come to the Utrecht show. Since then, of course, I'd completely forgotten all about it until now when the sight of the painting, titled Welcome to Your First Afterlife Party, had reminded me of all this. I think it'll look great on the studio wall. Made an interview with the Web Holland before sound checking. I'm slowly getting used to the in-ears. Everyone says I'm singing better than ever. I've also found that I'm not getting nearly as vocally strained as I used to and that I'm hitting all the high notes. After the show, I still feel like I have plenty left and I don't wake up in the morning feeling hoarse either. Now I know why so many singers have used in-ears for so long. Well, the show went brilliantly. I'm starting to communicate more with the audience now that I'm settling down with the new show and the response from them was marvellous. After the show I mingled for a bit with the after show guests and with Jack from the Dutch distribution company but I felt pretty washed out so I made excuses and left for an early-ish night. Sleeping a lot better since I started using earplugs to filter out the colossal snoring. And we're back. Oh, uh, oh, 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 go again. Go again. I'll do it again. Yeah. yeah. And we're back. I just had to prepare myself then for the. Yes. Well, you've probably still got a little bit of claggy Gaviscon floating around. I have. I have. I've I've got all sorts. I really have. I think it's the. um, (laughs) I think it's America. It doesn't just doesn't agree with me. Doesn't agree with you. Yeah, not that I'm not that I'm in America, am I? So that's bollocks as well. I'm in the middle of the ocean, halfway to Haiti, which would be a good title. Halfway to Haiti, uh, another good title. What was that other mm. one you had earlier? The Yazim. Oh, about Zamo. <laughs> that's a good title. Sorry, where were we? <laughs> where were we? What well, I you, was, you've just you've just. Thank you. You've just thank, thanks for playing. Um, you've just been to Tilburg. You've just been to Utrecht, and the entire mm. Tilburg episode, mm. the first paragraph is is basically snoring. Oh, I remember that. snoring on a tour bus. I do actually remember that. We're we're definitely getting into shades of the diary that that's still in my uh, in part, parts of my, the core of my memory. I do remember waking up in Tilburg. Did I get locked in the car park and then discover that the gate... You did get locked in the car park. The gate had been open all along. Yeah. So actually you didn't get locked in the car park. Yeah. No, I remember that as well. It was the day after Queen's Day, which is a a big celebration day in Holland. And and it was like a ghost town because I think everybody had been out late and nobody's no one was out of bed. So um, it was quiet in Tilburg that morning apart from the, the colossal muffled snoring coming from a tour bus in a car park, which was probably audible from across town. 
I think it was Stevie Finch, or it could have been Frenchy, um, or it could have been a chorus of all of all three. I don't know if Rothers was on the bus. Well, I don't think it was Frenchy because oh. you said that Frenchy got up and you sat and had a chat with him. Ah, it was because he must have been drum teching at that point, wasn't he? Yeah, maybe he was. It will have been it will have been Steve Finch, our lighting designer. Then lovely, lovely man, but my God, he can snore. I did think that because I was going to say to you who was it. I was going to ask you to spill the goss. I think it was Stevie. Right. Yeah, he right. wouldn't. He wouldn't mind me saying that. I don't think. Well, it's too late. Well, if it's true. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. We all snore, don't we? Various various levels in our life, depending on what we've... Yeah. How many curries and beers... Consumed. Mm. Mm. Um, and you did finally get some breakfast. And this is the point I was going to ask you about, because I've only ever had what you had for breakfast once. You had that bread thing with the eggs and the bacon that ah. you kind of do as a... Ouchmiter. Uitzmeiter. Uh, yeah, Mosley turned me on to these because he used to live in Holland. He was in a Dutch band for a while and um, he, he, he told me he had to leave eventually because he couldn't believe how little they ever got done. Um, everybody was so laid back, they drove him out of his mind and he, he had to leave the country, he said, um, just to get back to some tension in England. Um, so, but he, during his time living in Holland, he discovered the Outsmiter, which is a, a sort of a Dutch version of uh, fried eggs on ham, cheese and bread. And mm. it's really good. It's really good if you have it in Holland. So if you're having breakfast in Holland, folks, just say, good morning, Outsmiter. And make it snappy. And uh, I, I had it at Shipple Airport to join the two episodes together. Uh, I had it at Shipple Airport uh, after an early flight, mm. and it's the best thing. If you, I'd been on the like the five o'clock flight out, and I was absolutely fading. When and I'd got a, a while to wait till I was going to be collected from the airport, and I yeah, and it was superb. Yeah, they're a good thing. They're a good thing. That's the thing. I mean, they can't have. be good for your arteries. Because it's fried eggs as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think seven days a week might might not be the way to go, but every now and again, it's a fabulous thing. Mm. Mm. Um, and then finally, um, I've <laughs> I've got snoring and breakfast from the first. I mean, there's lots of other stuff in the dialogue. You've just heard it, and there's some good stuff and some nice stories, and you know the band play a bit, and everything's fine. But the other bit that I did take to was in Utrecht. You'd You'd arrange for a tumble dryer to travel with you on that tour. <laughs> that was genius. I said, "What we need is a tumble dryer, because you can always you can, you can always um, wash your socks in the sink. You know, it, laundry can be a problem on tour because you know things things get dirty and there's never anywhere to to launder anything because you're constantly moving and you can always wash stuff in the sink uh in the hotels or or, or wherever you know or in the gig um and you can wring it out but then what do you do you need a tumble dryer and if you haven't got one you're screwed 
Very few gigs have them. Some gigs have them, but but very few do. Um, you know, very few hotels will dry will dry stuff for you. So it suddenly occurred to me that for the for the pal- paltry expenditure of about eighty quid, we could throw a tumble dryer on the on the truck, and just basically throw it away again at the end of the tour. So we brought a tumble dryer with us, and it was genius. I mean, uh, it is genius. I, I will, I will, I will go with you on that. It is absolute genius. Did it have? Please tell me it did. Please tell me it had a flight case. <sighs> It didn't. It didn't because we were too oh. we were too tight to put it in one. We reasoned oh. we reasoned that a flight case for a tumble dryer would cost at least a hundred quid. Well, what was the point of protecting somebody worth eighty quid in something that cost a hundred quid? You might as well throw it away and buy another one. So, so we didn't. So, so, so that was in a way that was more amusing because at the end of the night, when when the truck was packed and the roller shutter was about to go down, or or the doors no, they don't do roller shutters. They have doors. The doors were about to be closed. There'd be this mass of flight cases with a tumble dryer <laughs> <laughs> sat on them, <laughs> which was funnier, really. I, I bet Dave Gilmore's tumble dryer is in a flight case. <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably it's probably solid gold, isn't it? Dave's tumble dryer. He probably uh, hmm. they they probably followed the brief and found a dearer one than the dearest one that, that anyone than anyone had ever had. They'd found an even dearer one that was handmade and all made out of graphite and gold. Well, he, he's, he, I, I have it on good authority. He stands his on a Shakti stone. <laughs> he will do. You'd need your tumble dryer on Shakti stones. You need one under each leg, definitely, right. for for kind of zen zen drying. And then you zen drying. You kind of, you kind of <laughs> then you'd have that extra something in your socks, <laughs> right? And God knows we all have. <laughs> I think I think we should draw a line under this. <laughs> it's been it's been quite an experience, I have to say. Um uh talking to you on a on, on a bullet. Um Do you know I don't know what it is about these podcasts, but I, I the number of these that, that that we've started and I've just felt fed up and hellish. And then we finished them and I felt quite fine and quite uplifted. So it, it, hmm. there's something therapeutic about this. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it just gets me, um, um, what's the word? Um, you know, my, um, maybe it gets my system started somehow. Yeah. Hmm. I think we seem, to, we seem to turn a corner and find one of the absurdities of life every time we talk, and that's always good for the soul. Yes. Yes, it is. It's therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Hmm. Well, have a good gig tonight. I'm looking forward to it, which is worrying because normally, you know, when you look forward to anything, it's a fucking disaster. Um, so that's slightly worrying. But I am looking forward to it, and maybe it won't be. Maybe it will be. Maybe I'll think, well, I was right to look forward to that. Hmm. Um, I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to playing this new album again because I'm really enjoying singing it live and listening to it too. You know, it sounds great when we play it. 
Hmm. What we could do, one thing we could do, just just for amusement, um, we could pick a phrase now. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's just say no, kids, or or you know, channeling your inner Zamo. Just mm. to see if anybody, because this will be out on Friday for the Purples, maybe just to see if somebody comes and says it to you before you get off the boat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Channeling yeah. your inner Zamo is pretty good. Yeah. Or, um... yeah. Just if you see Steve H on, on, on Friday before you get off the boat and you've heard this, just say, I'm channeling my inner Zamo. Yeah. Or I wouldn't mind channeling her inner Zamo. Maybe not. That might not make it to the cut either. <laughs> right, I'm going to leave you to work out how you're going to produce the Croomcast in that room. <laughs> Lord. Uh, right. Yes. Well, I'm sure... <laughs> I'm glad you're confident. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but not of that. Um, right. But... Oh, yeah, I've had a see if see if see if Justin Hayward's kicking around. He's got a guitar on him. Do a bit of do a bit of Forever that's, Autumn with him. That's true. I, but I, but I'd Forever be, Purple. Yeah, I'd be dangerously close to name dropping though if I got Justin in. It started <laughs> to become a bit of a, a, a sore point. Maybe yeah. I get uh, what's his face um, Tony Levin to play <laughs> play stick bass on the Crooncast. <laughs> That would be a big time. <laughs> Get him to play, uh, what is it called? What's the one that, what's the one? What's the one on the So album that's got well, all the really... Well, it's Sledgehammer, isn't it? Yeah, Sledgehammer, Crooncast, yeah, Tony Sledgehammer. Levin on bass. It won't yeah. happen, but that would be a thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, or I could do Year yeah. of the Cat with Al Stewart. They're on yeah. the boat. He's on the boat. Yeah. Or I could do... Yeah, uh, please, you're not name-dropping. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have finished by now. It's all right. It's safe. <laughs> anyway, I'm off to channel someone's inner Zamo. Bye. Ha-ha! <laughs> Me shivering, matey, timbery hearties. Thank you kindly for subscribing, Andy Thompson. Much appreciated. And another thing, thank you all. I've been at sea now for four straight days and nights, with no comfort but rum, sodomy, and the lash. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.